Welcome to Health Matters, Sonoma's weekly program devoted to health and well-being. Each week through interviews, editorials, and listener participation, we will explore topics and issues of contemporary medicine and its relationship to the lifestyles of our community. Our goal is to provide you with information and resources to help you achieve and maintain what you deserve, a happy, healthy, and productive life. I'm your host, Dr. Ned Hoke, a veteran in Natural Methods Healthcare, speaking with you today from Sonoma Valley, California, for an hour of health topic digestion and discussion. Please stay with us. Well, you're back. You're with us again at Health Matters, so thanks for joining us. Dr. Ned Hoke today, joining you uh, again. Uh, fortunately, oh, I'm going to be away. Uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Lehman will be back again in April for the early presentations in April. I'll be away, and so I look forward to uh, you visiting with him as well. Today we have two special guests. Our first guest is uh, from Praxis Peace Institute, uh, and she's going to be talking about the presentation that's going to be given this uh, Monday at the Sonoma Community Center. Um, Bill Greider, William Greider, the uh, famous uh, past national affairs editor at Rolling Stone, assistant manager, editor of the Washington Post, has written uh, a, new, a new book, uh, but a tremendously important book probably on the basis of uh, the current situation and um, so we'll, we'll be we'll be visiting uh, with our, our guest on that topic and then our second part of our program we'll be visiting uh, Julia Brody is actually we've done a pre-record with Julia Brody she's going to be giving a presentation at Commonweal in West Marin on Friday that's this coming Friday between 2 and 4 p.m. talking about the the uh, consequence of a study on toxic chemicals that she took uh, from her group at the uh, Silent uh, Spring Institute in Newton, Massachusetts, um, measuring the presence of toxic chemicals in indoor and outdoor air. So that'll be the last half of our program today. So here we are. And uh, so Georgia Kelly is with us. So Georgia, welcome to Health Matters. Thanks again for coming. This is an important uh, visit. Yes, uh, it is. Bill Greider and the Praxis Peace is, is presenting uh, uh, this 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 uh, nationally known and prominent uh, writer. Uh, and what exactly is the purpose of this presentation? Well, there's some background here. Praxis Peace Institute takes different um, areas that we focus on related to peace for maybe a year or more at a time. We've focused on civic participation and culture the influences of culture, and this current year and a half or two years, we're focusing on economics and how economic relationships relate to peace. So we took a trip to Mondragon last fall with 20 people to learn about the worker-owned businesses in the Basque Country. We are doing a conference later this year called the Economics of Peace in Sonoma. and. Along with this theme, we're inviting speakers to the area for events who are talking about economics and where we are right now and what we need to know and how we can help ourselves and help our communities. So Bill Greider is someone I've actually been trying to get here for over two years. 
but because he's on the East Coast and doesn't travel out here very often at all, it's been extremely difficult to get him. And one of his emails, he mentioned he was doing a book, and I thought, aha, that's what the I'm moment gonna... has arisen. <laughs> the yeah. moment will arise when that book's published, and 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 it did. So he will be coming here Monday and speaking at the community center at eight o'clock. And he also, uh, one thing you didn't mention is that he's currently the um, uh, foreign affairs or national affairs writer for the um, Nation magazine. Exactly. And he's been doing that for quite some time. So he's written some superb articles in The Nation, and I know you have one with you today. Right. And well, the, right, the one I have is was, was actually reprinted, exactly as you say, from The Nation magazine. It's called Looting Social Security, and, and uh, it doesn't give the date of publication, but I'll bet you if you were to go online. It's the last few months. Is it the last few months, mm-hmm. right. And in it, in it, it it is so penetrating and so uh, revelatory in terms of the kind of uh, gamesmanship that's going on on a political level, Mm -hmm. in terms of the the intention of the uh, the elite uh, uh, political classes to 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 debate and switch us one more time in terms of calling Social Security a uh, entitlement and something that has to be cut back and 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 we're paying into it right and that it's that it's that's in terrible shape and that somehow that we have to and he he completely disembowels that argument and 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 moves away from that and, and talks about how much that the um, that every, ever since Ronald Reagan, there's been this basically a theft. There's been a theft of the trust fund for Social Security. Exactly. Every every administration, other than Carter, since that time, has been basically taking money out of the trust fund to balance the budget or wherever they wanted to use it. So that's where money has been going from the trust fund. It's not that the system has any problem. That the Social Security system is actually the most successful government program we have. Well, as he says here, he said, federal budget analysts try to brush aside these facts by claiming that the government is merely borrowing it from itself when it dips into Social Security. But it never pays it back. Ah, but this is a (laughs) substantive falsehood. Government doesn't own the money. It essentially Mm -hmm. acts as a fiduciary, holding this wealth and trust for the beneficial owners who paid the taxes. Mm -hmm. So he... In paragraph after paragraph and, and page after page, he just disembowels this uh, phony this, argument, this phony argument mm-hmm. that, that, again, that began with the, with the great Gipper's legislative vet victory in 1981, enacting massive tax cuts for the corporations and the upper income. And then how they offset that was with a huge increase in the um, Social Security tax in 1983. Mm-hmm. So the game, as he describes it, anyway, began then. And, and now, of course, we're with the financial crisis that we're facing and then if we listen to Naomi Klein and her her shock doctrine right. story I mean I don't know how close you've been feeling I read that yes did we you read it in our book club at Praxis did you ah yes. uh-huh. what that wasn't that a, mm. a compelling I, presentation I loved the way she presented it mm-hmm. by looking at um, shock therapy psychologically right uh, and juxtaposing it with our economic shock therapy mm-hmm. I thought it was brilliant I, I was absolutely mm-hmm. enchanted with her presentation so coming back to, to Bill Greider um, let's let's hear at what you anticipate that Bill will be talking about in, in, in some more specific terms well I think he will be, he will talk about what just happened mm-hmm. the um, the bailout and the what this means, the stimulus so. package, the bailout, the stimulus package, what this means for us, what we need to do, 
And um, I know he is aware that that's on all of our minds. And since, you know, he's really an expert in this area, though he's a journalist and not an economist, it almost gives him an an advantage because he's not steeped into an ideological economic framework. He he is really looking at it from the outside uh, in a certain way. But he's been writing about economics for years and years and, in fact, wrote an astounding book about 20 years ago called The Secrets of the Temple, which was, it's probably like a three-inch book on the Federal Reserve Board. So he understands the role the Federal Reserve plays, which I think very few people do. And what they really are, you know, that it's uh, uh, there's a kind of a joke that a friend of mine, it's it's not the Federal Reserve is not federal and they don't have reserves. Hence the name. (laughs) You know, they're they're It's a misnomer. And to understand what they do, I think, is very important to understanding uh, the kinds of solutions that come out of Washington. Well, it's interesting to go back to Naomi Klein for a minute. One of the things Mm -hmm. she said in a presentation at the Aurora Forum recently, she said, how one of the great successes of the of the Greenspan revolution and since Ronald Reagan has been that they've convinced the public that um, economics is 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 a is not part of it's a fixed process and that that, that is not and she said that economics used to be part of political science mm-hmm. but now economics is this fixed thing that only is understood by experts and so the liberal democracy only takes place outside of that zone and what's taking place inside the economic zone has to be this schema that's put down right. by these big experts that, everybody, that nobody really understands what's really happening because it, because it's all fixed. That's why we need Bill Griders. Uh, exactly. And well, he, that was what I was basically yes, building on. We, I, I, I could I see was, that. I was supporting your, mm-hmm. th- that. And, of course, that's, again, what Naomi Klein does, who exactly. also, by the way, is a graduate of London School of Economics mm-hmm. as well. So she's not uh, without some background. So given that you've been bringing so many important people to different places around the world, but many many come to Sonoma as well. What are you hoping that that our, your, our listeners today, people listening, listening to us on this radio today, and, and, and people that they're involved with and intimate with, what are you hoping they'll take away from this presentation? What, do, you, do you see some social advocacy that comes into action, and what would that action be? Well, I, I can't uh, anticipate what that action will be, but I think when people come together collectively like this, learn something, become empowered and inspired. I mean, that process of being, of learning, of being inspired and being empowered is absolutely critical to get people to do anything. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned just before we got, we went on the show today, is um, I had to get up earlier than usual to be on Ken's show this morning, mm. and I thought, well, I'm writing a letter to my congressman right now because of the whole credit card abuses that are going on from the credit card banks. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I noticed, uh, I had read an article in the business pages of the New York Times maybe a month ago about the, the uh, companies that were buying up other banks were raising interest rates, and I'd forgotten to look at my statement. And Chase had just bought Washington Mutual, and so I looked at my statement, and I saw that my interest rate had risen 10%. So I called, and I get a script read to me. I asked to speak to a supervisor. I'm put on hold. This whole phone call is about a half hour between the holds and the talking, and and I get nothing but scripts. Sure. So finally, I said, you know, I'm not going to get anywhere with this, so I'm going to call my congressman. So what I did was I wrote a letter to Mike Thompson this morning. I contacted Lynn Woolsey's office yesterday. She's already on board for all the legislation that's going to rein in these banks and their, their usury 
practices. So I don't know about Mike Thompson, so I thought I need to write him a letter, which I did. And I think all of us as citizens need to get on board because as the mega banks buy up the more toxic banks, even though they're using our taxpayer money to do it, they're penalizing us by raising our interest rates. I mean, this is just appalling. And talk about arrogance. Well, and of course, that's 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 what they do. I mean, that's, that, that, but to still be doing it yeah, after right. taking all our money right, right, is just right. really appalling. It does seem a little over the top, doesn't it? A little. Yeah. So um, we can write our congressman. I, I'm, I'm still kind of with my question. Oh, yes, what, about what, what we do. What, 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 how are you seeing us participating in this? Now, I mean, as I was listening to a presentation recently, and one of the persons stood up with a question period, and they said, well, I don't. This all seems like I don't understand what you know uh, derivatives are. I don't know what any of these things, all these complicated mm-hmm. uh, swaps of one third or another. And he said, and the the the, the speaker said, well, that was, that was the point. Exactly, you're not you're not supposed to know. Uh-huh. And so, given that, again, one of the things that's happened is is that the public has become robbed of. You know, a substantial part of their 401ks, mm-hmm. for instance, and so mm-hmm. on, by this this process that we've been in in the last uh, period of time. Um, still, so they, they've been addled back down to you know more and more kind of almost whimpering loss of loss of strength people. So, in addition to having Bill Greider come and sort of you know rouse the rouse the troops, do you see? Do you anticipate and do you advocate, you know, substantial activism? And, and what kind of activism activism are you particularly supporting? Well, I support some that I don't do. Okay. Um, but, I, you know, what I'm thinking of in my, my role particularly is, is educating people about what's going on, educating myself, educating people through praxis mm-hmm. of what is really going on and giving people a chance to ask the hard questions from people who've got the answers mm. so that they're equipped when they go up, when they talk to their congressman, they talk to their representatives, or they talk to their friends and family, they know how to answer the Limbaugh-type sound bites. They know how to give real information. So I think this is an important part. So we, we, have, we have a whole almost college degree's worth of education to, to learn how to push back yes. at the wrong-mindedness and also the, 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 the outright lies, yes. really, yeah, of, of the... Of the of much of the conventional system here, mm-hmm. so we're really almost forced back into that the, that you know almost heavy fighting period of fighting for the citizens' lives, if you mm-hmm. if you if you will. We're fighting for our lives, so we're fighting for our lives financially. We're fighting for our lives with health care. Mm-hmm. We're fighting for our lives, our, our our democracy as citizens. So really, to take you at take the whole bite all at once, we're really fighting for our lives at, at this moment. And this is no small matter. No, it's not. You know, and this is not uh, something just for the bourgeois on the weekends. You know, uh, this is something for every citizen to pay attention to. This I th- is not I would... for armchair revolutionaries. Thank you. That's what I was trying to get to, actually. Yeah, this is not for armchair revolutionaries. Well, it can be, but there are going to be a whole lot of more of us. They're going to need to go. Wheels on those armchairs. <laughs> or something. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, we just have a couple more minutes before we got to take a break. So we've we got a couple more minutes to talk about the future, your upcoming thing in the fall. So let's give our give our listeners a little bit about what's coming up with Praxis in the fall. All right. Well, Praxis Peace Institute has had four major conferences in the past. They, three were in Europe, and one was at uh, in Pacific Grove, and we're 
doing our first conference in Sonoma mm-hmm. this October, October 18th to 23rd. And we're actually going to be doing most of it around the plaza. So we have our morning plenary sessions with speakers um, in the Sebastiani Theater. And we have some of our evening programs in the Vets Building or the Community Center. And we have some great speakers lined up. De- uh, Congressman Dennis Kucinich will be here um, and Lynn Woolsey, Congresswoman Lynn Woolsey, David Corton. Vandana Shiva. Vandana Shiva. This gosh. was another really difficult person to get, but we have managed. I think it's fabulous. And She's wonderful to listen to. Yeah, and she has been an extraordinary spokesperson oh. for economic health. And justice. Yeah. And justice. Yeah. Um, Jacob Needleman. Jacob Needleman. And, and Sam Keen's going to do a part on the mythic that we buy into as a culture around economics. This is going to be fabulous. Yeah, it, we're really getting to ev- from every point. We're starting out with looking at the, the mythic and the spiritual aspects of economic relationships. This and is then a we long program, too. This is like five the, days. the 18th to the 23rd. I mean, this is this is like enough to take over the world. Well, it's a real educational process, mm-hmm. and we're bringing two people over from the Mondragon cooperatives in Spain. <sighs> really? The educational director and an American who teaches at the Mondragon University. Oh, my God. So they can explain to us how this incredible consortium of worker-owned businesses Works and how they work together. 20 seconds. Tell our listeners how they can get a hold of this information. Praxispeace.org is the website. Okay. And the phone number is 939-2973. Well, stay tuned for that and also stay in tune with us here at uh, Health Matters at KSVY 91.3 in Sonoma. We need to take a little bit of a break and then we'll come back and shortly be joined by uh, Julia Brody of the Silent Spring Institute. So please stay with us. Tonight on the town, on the 20, hear what's happening in Sonoma. Hey, it's Ken Brown from Mornings in Sonoma. It's tonight on the town, Wednesday, the 25th of March. Citizen Advisory Commission will be meeting at the Sonoma Fire Station at 6.30 p.m. For more info, call 565-2241. Trivia night down at Murphy's Irish Pub, 7 p.m., 9350660 Mary's presents happy hour at the shack Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. 9388300 There's a lecture on yoga, anxiety and depression at the Yoga Community by Catherine Templeton 6 to 9 p.m. 9358600 and it's the last lecture on Lincoln Lincoln as commander in chief 9965217 at the Sonoma Valley Library at 7 p.m. And for more information about everything going on in the Valley, just go to our comprehensive event calendar, Sonoma Now. It's found on the top right corner of our Sonoma Sun web portal at ksvy.org. You can even submit your own event, all from Three House Multimedia and your community radio station, KSVY 91.3 FM in Sonoma Valley. Seraptimus International Sonoma Valley invite you to participate in a raffle. The proceeds will benefit many local projects. The grand prize is a luxury getaway for two to Paris. The lucky winner may choose from four apartments and have one year to take the trip. The prize includes $1,000 in spending money. The second prize is a lovely Carlisle outfit. The third prize is a spa package. Only 300 tickets will be available. For more information or to purchase tickets, call 996-5179 or 996-4538. 996 5179 or 996 4538. 
the Lincoln Bicentennial Seminars. Join the Sonoma Valley Library for Lincoln as Commander-in-Chief, hosted by John Stephen Futini, on Wednesday, March 25th at 7 p.m. We will look at his role as military leader and his role as wartime president. That's Wednesday, March 25th at 7 p.m. at the Sonoma Valley Library. Call 996-5217 for more details. KSVY, Sonoma. And welcome back to Health Matters. Dr. Ned Hoke today with you on Health Matters. And we're, in a moment, we'll start a pre-recorded meeting I had with uh, Julia Brody, the um, director of the Silent Spring Institute in Massachusetts. And I remind our listeners that, as I said at the beginning of the program, she'll be doing a program for the Commonweal Institute, which is a cancer self-help Institute in West Marin and Bolinas, uh, March 27th, between 2 and 4 p.m., to learn more about the kinds of chemical contamination found in, in local homes and what kind of actions we may take to reduce exposures. Um, Julia Brody and her team at the Silent Spring Institute in Massachusetts are well-known pioneers in exploring linkages between toxic chemical exposures, breast cancer, Upholding the legacy of Rachel Carson by exploring uh, how environmental threats contribute to disease and disease incidents. Uh, Brody has produced compelling results from her work in Cape Cod, and she has tested 120 homes in the Molinas and also Richmond area, and the, they, they tested for toxic chemicals. Uh, let's see. Also, let's see what else. Um, there's quite a lot. Uh, for instance, uh, Looking at her website, uh, silentspring.org, Californians have twice the average of toxic flame retardants in their blood, for instance. This, this is one of the pieces that arose from this household exposure study. Um, it's quite striking what's coming along in the toxics area, and, and here at Health Matters we will uh, often come back to this topic because it's so compelling and so underreported other than in a uh, sort of sensationalist way. And there's, there is a way of dealing with this, the, the news of toxics um, that is, uh, makes, makes a lot of personal choices relevant, and it, and, and it makes a difference in terms of uh, when you can see small elements of it. And speaking of toxics, uh, before we get to her presentation, I want to do our announcements. And it just so happens that uh, this very day, our local Rebecca, Rebecca and Marcus Perino, the naturopathic doctors, are going to be giving a talk at Pharmaca on detoxification between 5.30 and 6.30. They'll join a discussion on spring cleaning, it's so-called, and how it affects your health. And, of course, this is how it affects your health and your body. And then uh, to finish our announcement period, I uh, want to re- re- report that Dennis Zerbo is the nutritionist at the Sonoma Market and also a graduate of the Bauman Holistic Nutrition College in the California School of Herbal Studies. He'll be offering a positive approach to eating eating for body and mind for children and adults. He believes that daily nutrition and dietary habits should be enjoyable and not just a numbers game of calories, grams, and ratio counting. Nutrition growth is about balance between proteins, fats, and carbohydrates, and judicious use of supplements based on energetic needs and constitutional types. So that's at Sonoma Valley Hospital, again, uh, March the 30th, this coming Monday between 7 and 8 p.m. Central Conference Room. You can always call 935-5154 for more information for Dennis Zerbo's talk at Sonoma. He's the Sonoma 
market nutritionist. Okay? Now, um, I think what I'll do is I'll just put on uh, Julia Brody, and, and please forgive my technical inexpertise. I don't know how good a job I've done with this CD, so please bear with me. And here we go. And welcome back to Health Matters. This is Dr. Ned Hoke again uh, with you, and we're fortunate today to be joined by Dr. Julia Brody of the Silent Spring Institute in Newton, Massachusetts, who are uh, well-known pioneers in exploring the linkages between toxic chemical exposures and breast cancer. Um, this was uh, prompted by the high incidence of breast cancer in Cape Cod, which for our listeners who maybe remember in the not distant future, or distant past, I mean, the, the work of of uh, Francine Levian and the the uh, Marin County Breast Cancer Watch, these works actually began uh, relatively similarly in time, and so we'll be talking with Dr. Julia Brody about that, not the Marin work, but she's actually going to be coming to Commonweal Institute in uh, West Marin and Bolinas and giving a report on um, a study that her group had done on the biomonitoring of, uh, the, I guess I think it's air uh, air concentrations of toxicants. So that, pardon? Air and household dust. Air and household dust, exactly. So, well, welcome, Julia, Dr. Brody. Can we talk? We'll talk, call you Julia if that's okay. Yes, thank you very much. Okay, well, thanks for joining us. And maybe what we could start right into, since that's what we're actually talking about, is this presentation is coming Friday between 2 and 4 at Commonweal. Uh, maybe you could just kind of give us an overview for our listeners who won't be able to have a chance to join us there in Bolinas. Uh, what are you going to be talking about and what, uh, what, what is the revelatory material that you're going to be covering? I'm going to be talking about the Northern California Household Exposure Study, which is part of Silent Spring Institute's study of 170 homes, some of them on Cape Cod in Massachusetts, some of them in Richmond, California, and 10 homes in Bolinas. Um, we looked at a very wide range of chemicals with a particular interest in endocrine-disrupting compounds. Those are chemicals that affect hormones, and especially uh, estrogen mimics, because, as you said, we began from an interest in breast cancer. So um, these hormonally active chemicals may affect breast cancer and other hormonal cancers, prostate, testicular, uh, ovarian, and so on and um, fertility and child development, other health uh, endpoints. And we don't know very much about how we're exposed to them. So that's been one of our core areas of research. When you say you don't know how we've been exposed, so we we don't have the uh, we don't have the the Exxon Valdez uh, in our backyard, and yet we we have it in our in our uh, in our household chemicals, and we have it in the air. Is is the, is the postulation we've seen over the years, and so maybe you could uh, touch on a couple of points of the the vectors of these of these toxins. Um, to give our listeners a little chance to understand. Um, you know, where are they coming from? Okay, well, of course, our, our Richmond, California study participants do have a Chevron refinery in their backyard, and uh, they're surrounded by rail and marine shipping mm -hmm. um, and truck traffic. So there are some outdoor sources of pollutants that we're concerned about, but um, we also 
wanted to focus on chemicals that we don't think about so often that are coming out of products that we just use every day and bring home from the store. And these would include um, pesticides, both pesticides that were used long ago but are still hanging around, and pesticides that are in use today, and common products like laundry detergent or plastics or cosmetics. These compounds are in, in uh, a very wide range of common products. Mm -hmm. And for our listeners who may feel that this is that many times we hear of these things, but we we really don't know about the causal links between uh, toxins and the occurrence of disease. And we, of course, we've all heard about lung cancer and, and tobacco, and so we've all sort of taken that lesson to heart. But what I gather you're doing, and what I I can remember uh, some years ago when. Um, uh, Michael Lerner, your host at Commonweal, uh, came out was was shown in the one of the newspapers locally as as as, as himself having been measured for the the various toxicants that his body contained. As I recall, it was two hundred and some. And let's talk to our listeners a little bit about and share with us your thoughts about the the in other words, the the causal link. Since we since we have such high levels of instrumentation, we can measure you know the you know the tiniest of things. But let's talk a little bit about the causal links between these issues and the, the occurrence of disease, if you would, please. Yes, that's a very important area to explore. Um, so Flower Spring Institute's work began, as you said, from breast cancer and a concern about breast cancer, which, of course, is a very complicated disease. We already know that there are multiple risk factors, so um, we aren't going to find one answer in the environment. Um, and when you think about it, everything we know, or almost all that we know about the causes of breast cancer comes from things that you can ask people, like how old were your kids? How old were you when your kids were born? If you're older when your first child was born, your breast cancer risk is higher. And mm -hmm. did you take hormone replacement therapy and so on? And when it comes to these environmental pollutants, we can't just ask people. So we need to look for a different kind of evidence. And um, a precautionary framework, which underlies our research, says we can't look at these in human breast cancer studies yet, but we can look at them in animal studies. We can look at what they do in cells. So the chemicals that we're studying are ones that will make human breast cancer cells grow in a laboratory. We don't necessarily know what they do in people. And they um, can affect animal development. So we know that animals that are exposed prenatally, for example, to some of these compounds, the daughter's mammary gland never develops to a fully mature state and remains vulnerable to carcinogens. Right. So that's the kind of way that we're trying to construct a picture of um, disease causation without waiting until we have the, the human studies, which might take 60 years or might really be impossible to conduct. For one thing, we wouldn't do the kind of research that we do to find out whether drugs work, um, a clinical trial. That would, We would consider that unethical to take half a group of women, expose them to pesticides, and half a group not, and then wait and see what happens. So we have to look for the links to health in other ways. 
Okay. Well, I, I think our, one of the things I guess our, our listeners might also be interested to know is that your work has really been supported by a, a substantial, uh, you know, body of history, of course. Theo Coburn's work previously and, and of course, going all the way back to, to Rachel Carson and her work in, with DDT in Silent Spring and her book uh, that uh, appeared shortly before her death, I believe. Tell our listeners a little bit about um, the kind of support you've been getting from the government, and, and we also uh, read here that you've also recently, I guess as recently as last December, you were on a President's uh, Council on Cancer Research, but tell us a little bit about that if you would. Uh, so you asked about Silent Spring Institute and how our how our work is supported. Yes, um, I and, but I was really sort of celebrating it. It's being supported broadly, and I was asking you to to, <laughs> to highlight the 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 the, the National Cancer Institute, the the you know, the various people who've supported you along the way. Um, like any like any nonprofit, we we struggle always to find support. But good. Um, we began with state funding mm -hmm. from the Massachusetts legislature, and we now we now have grants from the National Institutes of Health, the National Science Foundation, um, and uh, gifts from many private donors, mm -hmm. women and men across the country who have been inspired by our work have been very very important supporters of our ability to expand the science in places that in the past traditional funders haven't haven't wanted to go. Well, tell us also a little bit about how it is you're organized in terms of I see you have a, a you have a, a staff of uh, what 15 20 people something like that? Well, more like 13. More like 13. So, well, so we have scientists on our staff. Mm -hmm. We have a, a multidisciplinary scientific staff. And we also work in collaboration with activist organizations and with researchers at universities. Mm -hmm. So we were founded by leaders of the Massachusetts Breast Cancer Coalition, and mm -hmm. we continue to uh, stay closely in touch with them and with um, other other organizations who we can, we see as the clients for our work in many ways. Mm -hmm. um, and our research teams also include um, scientists at Harvard, Brown University, the University of California, Berkeley, mm -hmm. um, and several laboratories. Um, it's been a really very exciting opportunity to work in this kind of partnership between scientists, physicians, and activists to try to do science that is going to inform action, so it's not going to sit on the shelf, but someone is going to take it and run with it. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, 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 of course, what's kind of happening today. It's the, it's the, the movement of the, how things are being done. We're, we're, not, we're not waiting anymore as we perhaps once did. So endocrine disruption, again, is one of the things that I, as a healthcare practitioner, of course, noted in many, many different ways, and it has all different kinds of faces and shows up in many uh, many costumes, if you will. May, you might help our listeners, um, uh, from your perspective as a researcher, talk about uh, the, sort of the, the the expression of endocrine disruption as you've seen it, and, and and then also kind of talk to us a little bit about the history of it in terms of how it got discovered, who it kind of show us, walk us through a, a short course through the the story of the development of the the thought of endocrine disruption, and where do you see it kind of continuing to move forward? I realize that's a large sort of yeah. large yeah. question, but it, the thing is, I think it it, it has a, it carries a lot of the the the, the passion and the strength of what of your work with it, I think. 
Well, we didn't know it at the time, but Rachel Carson's work actually was the beginning mm -hmm. of this era. She made very careful observations of wildlife and noticed massive die-offs of uh, fish and amphibians and insects after the use of DDT began. Mm -hmm. um, and that really was the foundation for this kind of, of research. Um, you mentioned Theo Colburn. Of course, her book, Our Soul and Future, is, it was the critical beginning of our awareness of the modern concept of, of endocrine disruptors. Um, and so this is, a, this is a phenomenon where something in our environment that may be in a plastic bottle or uh, cosmetics enters our body. It can, you could breathe it. You might accidentally ingest it in dust, or it might be in your food, or you apply it to your skin, as in lotions, and it, it then penetrates through. And these chemicals mimic uh, or block a hormone. So, for example, they might turn on the estrogen receptor. And the estrogen receptor controls many different processes in the body. Um, for example, it, they, it affects breast development. Um, but there are other kinds of, of disruption that can occur, too, not just estrogen disruption. We're concerned also about flame retardants, which affect thyroid hormones. Uh, phthalates uh, affect androgens. So the effects that have been seen in humans are on baby boys. Um, there's a concern that exposure to phthalates is affecting the development of, of genital, the genitals if the mom is exposed. And we've recently had a law in, uh, or some law development. Uh, what can you, can you reveal what that, that, I forget exactly what the law has been. There's been the phthalates have been taken out of, is it a California law, a national law, or don't, am, I, am I wrongheaded there? Well, I'm, I share with you an inability to keep track of all the different <laughs> different regulations of the different chemicals, but it's been a, a really wonderful phenomenon to see right. um, on two tracks. One, as as people speak out about their concerns about these chemicals, legislators have been responding, so we're seeing uh, state level and some federal actions to to limit phthalates and bisphenol A um, and PBDEs, the brominated flame retardants. Right. Um, and we're also seeing that manufacturers are, are wising up that people are not going to tolerate um, products that contain these chemicals. And so we're seeing reformulations that are voluntary as well. Well, there, and I think for our listeners' benefit, there is a uh, been a tremendous difference between the way the Europeans have responded to these toxins and, and how our uh, scientific advisory and regulatory panels have to date. And maybe you might want to share with our listeners a little bit of, uh, of your thoughts and experience on the expression of the precautionary principle and how that's actually worked itself out in terms of uh, current, the, the current state of uh, regula the regulatory environment. Well, in the, U in the U.S., people don't realize it, but um, many products that are on the shelf really haven't been tested to see whether they're safe for people. Um, we have an innocent until proven guilty policy here, and uh, the Europeans are moving much more towards a better safe than sorry kind of approach. 
They have been quicker to limit the use of certain chemicals like the brominated flame retardants, like the phthalate. Um, and they also are developing a systematic uh, screening process called REACH, which um, really is a very important development and something that we need to, to look carefully at in the U.S. California, in fact, is leading the U.S., as it often does, um, in grappling with these issues. And, and California does have a state-level chemicals policy initiative that will um, set some priorities across the board. Um, this is really important because, for example, with the flame retardants, we see the brominated flame retardants came into use. Then we begin to realize that they're, they uh, are, are thyroid disruptive. They may not be safe. Then um, they come out of use, but new flame retardants are now being put into use, like Firemaster 550, that may also be unsafe. Um, or are known to be unsafe. So we don't want to do this one chemical at a time, um, moving target kind of thing. Um, it's been a great starting point to raise awareness that we need to come to grips with chemicals and consumer products, but I think we need to now quickly move to a more systematic approach. What, what do you think it's going to take to to arouse the public, or the, the not just the public, but the but the functioning public in terms of the legislatures and people like that? What, what you've been at this a long time now, um, and you're obviously devoting your a good deal of your life to this issue. Uh, how do you see the the public investment in this expressing itself? Uh, in addition to supporting you and so on, but uh, how do you see that actually activating itself in terms of public policy? Uh, it has been a long road, and we have been very, very slow in the U.S. to pick up on the early warnings that chemicals may be harming our health. So I think we're at a, a remarkable tipping point. Um, the, the speed with which bisphenol A came out of baby bottles, I think, is a sign that we're going to see change mm -hmm. um, and that people are ready and uh, we're going to be very distracted by economic problems, but I think um, there's, there are a lot of um, things ready to happen in this field. The Kids Safe Chemicals Act at the, at the uh, federal level mm -hmm. and implementation of the California Chemicals Policy Act there are some uh, very important things that are going to be coming up on the table in, in the next year. Um, in fact, it's, it's time to look at the nation's major legislation for uh, governing chemicals. The Toxic Substances Control Act, TOSCA, mm -hmm. um, is going to be reviewed. And um, this is a critical moment where we can... Um, change to a more precautionary approach. And um, so I hope all your listeners will, will get themselves into action on this. There are some uh, variety of, of ways to do this. Uh, the Collaborative on Health and the Environment, CHE, which is based at Commonweal, is a, a wonderful vehicle for educating yourself and becoming engaged. The Breast Cancer Fund in San Francisco is another wonderful um, avenue for becoming engaged in the safe cosmetics campaign and um, some so, of these other changes. 
Well, we had the gal who wrote uh, Safe Cosmetics on not too long ago on the show, and, and uh, she also – so she had her website. Um, perhaps you share with the listeners before we take our break here, what is your website and maybe mention a website or other or two that would also support the discussion we've been having this morning? Our website is silentspring.org. Okay. And if you click on the Take Action tab, you'll find links to others that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's all right there for us. Well, we need to take a break here at Health Matters. We're at KSVY 91.3 in Sonoma, and we'll be back with Dr. Julia Brody and the Silent Spring Institute. We're talking about her upcoming presentation, actually this Friday, at Commonweal between 2 and 4 p.m. That's in West Marin in Bolinas. So please stay with us. We'll be right back with you. Come to the live benefit performance of the Vagina Monologues as Sonoma joins a global effort to stop violence against women and girls. Performances will be held on March 27th and 28th at the Sonoma Valley Women's Club on East 1st Street. There will be before and after parties with live entertainment, raffles, and wine. Don't miss this powerful event. Advanced tickets are available at Pharmaca and The Laughing Queen. If you're on a budget, the dress rehearsal on March 26th will be discounted and tickets will be available at the door. All doors open at 7 p.m. The world is at your doorstep. Take advantage of a unique opportunity to make new friends and contribute to international understanding. International students are coming for a four-week fun and educational program this summer. Host a student and experience the world at its best. For more information, call Heloisa Heinen at 504-994-4159 or watch for the International Students Booth at upcoming Farmers Markets in Sonoma. KSVY, Sonoma. And welcome back to Health Matters on KSVY. This is Dr. Ned Hoke. Today I'm joined by Dr. Julia Brody, who's going to be giving a uh, presentation on uh, actually, a, a, I guess it would be a revelatory uh, exposure of the of the in, uh, the indoor and outdoor air uh, concentrations in Richmond and Bolinas. Is that correct? Yes, I'll be talking about our study of um, 50 California homes mm-hmm. and in comparison with 120 on Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and we tested for 153 different chemicals. And we talked a little bit about this before the, the before our break, and we didn't actually talk about any of the particular details. Maybe we get, we shouldn't give away too much, but let's talk about the difference between Bolinas and, and, and Richmond a little bit, if you would, because as you as you mentioned uh, quite plainly, Richmond is a is a chemical soup in, in an area. So let's compare just briefly, if you would, uh, Bolinas and Richmond. Um, and uh, to tell our listeners a little bit about what jumps off the page. Um, we expected and we did find more chemicals uh, detected in Richmond than in Bolinas, both outdoors and indoors. Um, and uh, for those chemicals that we detected in both places, 
there were more chemicals that we detected at higher concentrations mm -hmm. than in Bellina. Um, so Richmond does have some distinctive outdoor sources of pollution, and one of our goals was to see if we could detect those chemicals penetrating indoors. And indeed we did. So, um, for example, we found um, vanadium and nickel, which are markers of heavy oil combustion. So mm -hmm. that would be associated with oil refining and marine shipping at higher levels in Richmond. Um, and in fact, that among the highest levels in the state, comparing with the, the outdoor monitoring. Um, we did not find a lot of differences between the two communities in the chemicals that are coming from consumer products. We, we went into this study really not knowing what to expect, whether these communities that are different in so many ways would have different levels of, of uh, pollution from indoor sources, like this, this, your stuff. Um, and in fact, we, we didn't find a lot of differences between the communities, which just shows you how pervasive um, consumer products are as a source of indoor contamination. Let's, let's talk a little bit about biomonitoring. So our, probably our, our listeners are not going to be as acquainted as either of you and I are in terms of the nature of what biomonitoring really is, what that, how it's expressed, how it's taken. Um, talk a little bit about the mechanics of it as well as the, as well as the sort of uh, clinical relevance of it. Okay. So our California study was based on um, environmental samples, so we collected dust and air. We came to each home and vacuumed for quite a while, skimming um, a special crevice tool just above the surface. So we're collecting dust that is, is really uh, ready to be breathed in or that you might stir up and then get on your hands and, and mm -hmm. dust. Dust, of course, is especially important if there are kids in the home. Um, they're, they're apt to eat a lot more dust than we do as adults. Um, we also set up an air monitor that collected, that drew air through a filter overnight. In our California study, we asked um, women to, to give us a urine sample, um, but that was not part of, of the California uh, part of our research. Okay. And so, you're you're saying now that in, this this is the the uh, the indoor pollutant environmental uh, monitoring now biomonitoring you're saying you're taking in the dust sample and you're then you're analyzing the dust for the various elements so right. there there so there's no body measuring there's, you're you're not measuring the, the the body burden of any of these people you're just measuring other than you say that you did a, a, a um, uh, your analysis study, but right. but this is just dust. That's it. Uh, dust and air. And air. Excuse me. Yeah. And have you then just my medical curiosity causes me to to wonder. Going. Have you done that and then done uh, uh, body level monitoring and and seen actually how the interface of that works? Uh, we don't have. Uh, on Cape Cod, we do have information about what people's dust looks like in comparison to their air, in comparison to their urine. Right. California homes, we didn't collect biological samples, mm -hmm. but we did compare, um, we did use a national biomonitoring resource, 
the um, National Exposure Report, mm -hmm. which is based on the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey, um, allowed us to look at the their California blood samples in comparison with the red the rest of the U.S. for flame retardants in particular. Um, and we did that analysis because our dust samples had showed that California, both Richmond and Bolinas, had much higher levels of flame retardants than our Cape Cod samples. And Cape Cod, in turn, was much higher than the European reports have been. So we wanted to pursue that and, uh, in, in the blood samples from statewide. And uh, so there's there's a thing called the California Progress Report on your website. It says, averting a California toxics disaster. Is that information commingled in that report, or is that another completely other other kind of toxic? I'm not quite sure exactly where you are on my website. Oh, well, anyway, it's, it's, it's under featured research. But at any rate, I just, the thing was that the, the flame retardant thing, so let's, let's walk down that hole a little bit. Uh, the, okay. Uh, what about that? Is that, that the stuff that's enclosed? Is that the stuff that's in the building materials? Where is that stuff coming from? Um, it could be in any of those places. Uh -huh. In California, we think that uh, a lot of the flame retardants are coming from uh, polyurethane foam, for example, in furniture, because California has a special flammability standard called Technical Bulletin 117 mm -hmm. that requires that um, furniture withstand an open flame for 12 seconds. Wow. So... That has led manufacturers to put a great deal of flame retardant into these products, and we see the results in our study um, that California dust and California blood has much higher levels of these um, compounds. So we can we can we can put a we can, for 12 seconds we can take 12 seconds of a of a match and not not run into trouble at all or on our bodies. <laughs> But now it, it it says here the, to get to the you know, the warmer part of this uh, conversation. We're going to need to walk away from that conversation now. But it's been great to have Julia uh, Brody on our guest as our guest today. Again, I want to remind our listeners that she will be at Commonweal this Friday, um, and you can go to commonweal.org and get more information for, for that presentation between two and four p.m. Uh, this Friday, and. Um, also, I want to come back and remind our listeners that our local uh, naturopathic doctors, Rebecca and Marcus Perino, will be again at um, Pharmaca uh, this, this very day, Wednesday the 25th, between 5.30 and 6.30. That's this afternoon, early evening. And they'll be talking about detoxification, the very thing that we all need to do, preferably oftentimes in the spring, because it's, it's a good time to engender that kind of activity. So uh, always happy to have you with us here at Health Matters. We're always looking for your insight and your feedback in terms of what kind of programs you're interested in looking for. Again, I want to remind you that upcoming, I'll, we'll be out of the, not I'll, we'll be here next week, but then the week, couple weeks thereafter, or three weeks thereafter, we'll be uh, hosted by Adam Lehman, who I'm sure will have some wonderful guests and some wonderful opportunity to share this time with you. So again, uh, as we always say at Health Matters, if you cannot pacify your spirit and you let your mind be complicated with desires and worries, your disease will not be cured. 
To be healthy, you must avoid anger and worry, keep your mind happy, your heart at ease, and your desires at low levels. That's the guidance of the Yellow Emperor's Classic of Internal Medicine. That's the basic book of Chinese medicine, my practice. Our Health Matters motto is, health care isn't a noun, it's a verb. So until next week, I bid you well. <laughs>